0: Good evening, Hope Reformed Baptist Church. And uh, I see plenty of uh, visitors or new people with us. So uh, if uh, this is your first time at Hope Church or you're not usually here, we're very glad you're here. Uh, We're we're, we're, uh, honored to be worshiping the Lord with you. Can you open up, all of you, to John chapter 11? In John chapter 11, we have one of Jesus' statements that we will be studying tonight. In two more weeks, in, on Sunday evening, we're going to be starting to study the book of Galatians together, which is Paul's defense of, proclamation of, and uh, 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 aim to rebolster the local churches around in the Galatian province in the hope and the assurance and the certainty and the purity of the doctrine and the reality of the gospel. And we're starting that in a couple of weeks, and I've been wanting for years to preach this book, but the time just never quite felt right. I don't really choose what uh, uh, sermons we do based on my inward feelings. If I did, you would question why we did some of Solomon's, et But usually, But this book has has just seemed to call, and so we're going to walk through it. I don't promise it will be finished before six months. It will be a long walk through in detail, but we pray by God's power, by God's uh, uh, spirit, it will be a, an, an exposition and a study in power. In John chapter 11, we have a bit of a different call or invitation than the others that we have been studying. If, if you're unaware, our, our, our practice uh, for the last uh, month or so, and we will continue until we start Galatians in the evening, we've been looking in the Gospels at one of the stories or the accounts where Jesus uh, stands before many people. And he calls people to himself. We started with, uh, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He, he, we also spoke of when he said, I'm the light of the world. Come to me and find light for your life. We looked at the time when he, he said that he was the, the, the life-giving water and anybody that comes to him will have the, the drink of eternal life. They're all very public. One of the emphasis I've been making is that Jesus would put open invitations To those who very likely thought themselves beyond God's reach or outside of the usual criteria to come to Jesus for salvation and for life. He called to sinners instead of the righteous. He sat down with the tax collectors and the rebels against God rather than the really religious. Pharisees, And this was all intentionally to speak to people against their usual inclination and against their current thought pattern and say, come to Jesus and be saved. Or in his words, come to me. Today, however, in John 11, we're looking at not so much an invitation that Jesus makes as a confirmation in the form of a kind of invitation. We're not looking at something that he says to a crowd or in the context of a large open-air gathering or a synagogue gathering. Today we're looking at one that Jesus says actually in a very intimate setting to an individual named Martha. And instead of an invitation to come to him, he's reaffirming the truth to her, And inviting her to realize more fully the truth that is in Jesus. So I'll read in uh, chapter 11, verse uh, 25 and, uh, sorry, verse uh, uh, 23 and onwards. Now, as a little bit of a, a context, this is an intimate friendship. Jesus has known Martha for uh, uh, quite a while. He's actually very close friends with her brother Lazarus and her other, uh, her sister Mary. Uh, we've seen a couple of accounts already in the Gospels. If you read through John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus is in their house serving people, or or he he visited them as he passed onto Jerusalem. He's very uh, friendly with Martha, and the language that he uses today is fairly intimate. We also know that this is a fairly intimate, or a very intimate, one of the most intimate and sensitive of situations because this is, the, this is the scenario of her brother's funeral. Some of you have been to funerals, some of you may well have been to your brother's funeral. That, that was, you know, in, in human terms or the way we might think, you know, he, he went too young, he died too early. Uh, uh, We in the West have really segregated and separated and distanced ourselves from the experience of death as much as possible. When people are sick, they go into a room in a hospital uh, and we visit them when we feel like being confronted with that kind of sickness. When they die, they are put away and professionals deal with the body and they go to a professional place of looking after the body till the funeral when maybe there's an open casket. Most of the time these days, those are very uncommon. The box is closed. Maybe there is no casket. They've been cremated. And we uh, really can go our whole lives, most of us, without ever uh, eye-to-eye witnessing death. We can go a long time without seeing a corpse. Well, it was the case in the ancient uh, Near East and in Israel that uh, a process of mourning and a A celebration of the life would come later. First of all was the mourning and the intentional sitting in the process of grief. And they would look on the dead and they would consider the death. Proverbs, uh, in fact, says that it is good. It is good to go to the house of mourning because every single one of us will one day be there. And it's good to remember that. I wonder how often in your life you've been brought so uh, 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 close to the experience of death in somebody else that you are demanded to consider your own frailty, your own mortality, the shortness and the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, that it could come at any moment or maybe and I'm speaking from experience of a friend of mine. Maybe your wife drove you to church tonight and nearly missed a large telephone pole which made you squeal like a, a girl while you were reading in the passenger seat. Maybe, I don't know. Happened to a friend of mine. You don't know him. Uh, but 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 some things happen that really do bring us all. That was close, but it's different when death has struck, we're near it, we're looking at it, we're eye to eye, but there's, there's a lifeless body. This was Martha's experience. And it's an even more intimate Situation because it's not just that her brother, Jesus' very good friend, is dead. It's that, look, if we can get really honest in Martha's language, this whole funeral is Jesus' fault. When Lazarus was sick and they knew it was dire, they sent for Jesus, who had healed plenty of people in the past. They sent for Jesus and said, Your friend Lazarus is sick, come and help. And Jesus intentionally waited. And he waited and he didn't come. And he waited until then, as a prophecy of the Lord, he tells his friends, He's dead now, but he will rise. Let's go see him. Jesus intentionally waits until Lazarus is dead, and this is known oh at least this is this, this inconvenience is felt by the sisters because on his arrival both Mary and Martha tell him, Where were you? If you'd come, he could have lived. In fact, somebody is complaining at the funeral. As they see Jesus weeping, they say, this guy's healed blind men. Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? So there's a very sensitive scene that Jesus speaks to in this scenario. And it's a very intimate timing. I mean, it's in the process as they are going down to the burial site of Lazarus. She is, uh, they have already buried him. He, he died a number of days ago. He's been wrapped up, mourned over, anointed, and put in the grave, uh, in the tomb. And now Jesus uh, sort of arrives to their house as a great procession is going out to go and mourn and weep publicly, which was part of their procession, and remember the death of Lazarus. And Jesus meets meets Martha in that situation. It's not only heartfelt for Martha in this situation and Mary and the others. We need to remember Jesus himself is feeling as a true human, true God, yet true human. He's feeling the full weight of grief in this scene. In verse 35, the shortest sentence of the Bible, Jesus wept. As he walks up to Lazarus's tomb, Jesus looks on the reality of death, remembers the death of his friend, and weeps. He, he wails uncontrollably and, and not politely, not sort of like a, like a burly man might, might cry uh, 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 watching uh, the gladiator. Uh, not like that. He, he is loudly crying. He's allowing himself to feel the full weight of death that has struck mankind and, and, and he weeps. Into this situation, Jesus speaks to Martha and in verse 23, he says, Your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who is coming into the world. May God bless this powerful promise of Jesus in our midst tonight. Amen. Jesus says to Mary, uh, 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 not merely what she takes it as, which is a, a, a recitation of bare orthodoxy. So let's start with this understanding what Mary what Martha, sorry, what Martha already knew. Martha already knew that on the last day of human history, as history turns into eternity and the life to come in the new heaven and new earth, she knows that every single person that has been saved by God and redeemed from sin will receive a new body. That their bodies will, will be reconstituted out of the waters if they died there. Or whether out of the ground if they died in battle. Or out of the grave if they were buried. Or out of the wind and breeze and mountains if they were cremated somehow. We don't know the mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. But it's a reality. That God will reconstitute every human body. And we will all be raised back. In, not, not merely into this body. But this body plus some. This body plus But fit for eternal life, this body, but immortal, this body, but can't get sick. And if we look at the experiences of Jesus' resurrection body, maybe it can also pass through physical uh, uh, areas and float when God tells us to. We don't know, but this will be a a supra or super human body, it's a human body, but but elevated or promoted for eternal glory. So she hears him say, your brother will rise again. And she says, Jesus, I'm orthodox. I'm not a liberal, loser theologian at those weird churches that do funerals for dogs, Jesus. I'm orthodox Jewish. I'm devout. I believe the scriptures. Because in their day, there really was a whole slew of theologians that that disbelieved much of the miracles in the Old Testament, but also believed that that the spiritual afterlife is a myth. It was picked up from the Babylonians and the Assyrians. But truthfully, uh, Yahweh only deals with us in this life, then we die and we are no more. Annihilation of the human soul, they taught. This was the belief of the Sadducees. Uh, In Jesus' ministry, in Mark 12 it happens, the Sadducees try and catch Jesus on what seems to them an an illogical uh, portion of Scripture if there is a resurrection. And so they, they, they sort of uh, uh, try and pin him and, and, and prove that there is no resurrection. And in answering them, Jesus goes back to Exodus 3 when God spoke to Moses out of the bush. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 12. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him and introduced himself saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. That's just the best way to end a theological argument. You are quite wrong. Love it. Jesus does that. And what he says is, if Abraham died but stayed dead forever, God would have introduced himself as, I was the God of Abraham. If Isaac, and if Jacob had all lived and he was their God, but then they died, then God would have introduced himself to Moses as, I was the God of Abraham, was the God of Isaac, was the God of Jacob, and I'm the God of you because you're alive. Jesus says, "No, no. He he says he still is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know why? This is what Jesus realized in that passage. Is because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were just behind God. They were in heaven. They were with Him. There is a resurrection. There is eternal life. the, the human soul is immortal. Don't try and don't try and uh, satisfy and comfort yourself with the hope that there's nothing after death. That that's all this atheism is. It's just it's just pat on the back." Get yourself some sleep at night psychology. That's all it is. They're just trying to convince themselves that when I die, I'll be no more. When I die, I'll be no more. I'm nothing but evolved stardust. I'm nothing but uh, but conglomerate goo and meat evolving through space-time on a rock going through uh, the galaxies. That's all I am. There's no afterlife. No. Every single person will see and meet God. Every single one of us, within 80 years, likely, Each one of us will see God face to face and give an account for each one of our deeds and acts in life. Jesus confirmed it. Martha's saying, Jesus, I'm not a Sadducee. I'm not a part of the weird left-wing, liberal church theologians. I believe there's a resurrection coming. I believe there's eternal life. She might also be thinking of Job. And maybe this was even something that would go through the minds and uh, be recited at Jewish funerals. Job uh, 19, verse 25, when Job, suffering almost to the point of death, he says, This I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Whatever mystery Job understood, we don't know exactly what he would have confessed or written down in a theological treatise about the resurrection, but somehow he knew, when you die, your skin rots, yet on the last day, in your own flesh and skin, you'll see God. We don't know how it works. When you die, your eyes roll backwards, they deteriorate, and they rot. And yet, with those self same eyes, you will one day see God face to face because He will raise us. And we will see our Redeemer on this earth standing in front of us. What an amazing thought. That's what Martha's saying. I know Jesus. We die, we get buried our souls go to heaven for a time but in the last day when the Redeemer comes back when God ends human history we all get our eternal bodies back I know Jesus I'll see Lazarus one day that's what Martha's saying that's what she's confessing likewise this is also our certainty and a basic tenet of our faith let's just camp on this for a second because there's likely some people who either haven't heard this before actually don't believe it or have uh, gone to lengths to argue against it. Our bodies will be recreated in the judgment day. There are views, some uh, liberal and weird like the Sadducees, some who try and sneak themselves into confessional, evangelical, Protestant theology, and, and they try and say things like this, that that, that you die and, and then you get... You go to heaven and it's glorious and it's great. Maybe you get a body. We don't know. Maybe you don't. But, but there's no day when this earth wraps up and when heaven comes to earth and, and when we all get our, our bodies back. And I sort of mock and laugh and say, how can these bodies, right? Because here's the logic. I die. I'm buried. A tree grows. Some of my cells go to the tree. You eat that apple. Now my cells are in you. And then you pass on to someone else, and, and then maybe, you know, uh, Jim gets his leg bitten off by a shark, and then that shark uh, is then eaten at its death by other fish, and then Vic pulls out a fish at the lake, and he eats Bob's well, lake. Do you see how this It's just silly. And so they mock it, and they say, we won't get these bodies. How does that even work? There's only so many cells to go around. Or for other theological, strange, odd reasons, they say that we won't actually be resurrected. We don't know what the future looks like. But... Heaven, some people uh, misunderstand this, heaven is not our final dwelling place. Heaven is not our home. Some people say of of this earth, this is not my home, I'm just passing through. Heaven's my home. Wrong. (laughs) No, heaven you'll just be passing through too. Heaven is the waiting zone, glorious in God's presence, but heaven is the waiting zone where souls without bodies worship God and wait until the final day when we get our bodies back and the whole earth is recreated. This is such a central tenet of the Christian faith that that it is in fact tied to the resurrection of Jesus. Paul actually argues in 1 Corinthians 15 and he puts out an entire chapter to argue the fact that we will be raised and we must believe we're raised and if you don't believe we're raised you actually don't believe the gospel that this is actually something that divides true Christians from heretics. Whether or not these bodies, not new bodies, but these bodies resurrected, will, will, will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. A lot of Christians don't even think of this as that important. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's defense and apology says, says that these bodies being resurrected is the same uh, uh, process as Jesus' body being resurrected. He just says this, if our bodies don't rise... And Jesus entered into our experience in order to suffer death and then resurrection for us, then he would not have raised because that's not what happens to us. So if we don't rise, Jesus didn't rise. And do you see the first domino tip that it it destroys the entirety of our salvation? If Jesus didn't rise, he stayed dead. If he stayed dead, then our saviour stayed damned. If we have a saviour that is still damned, we don't have a saviour. We're still damned in our sins, lost in Adam and corrupted in the world. So, so our resurrection is very important. That's the point we're making here. And uh, this is as from the earliest days of Christian theology and the church. The eschatology of the church has been confessed like this in the Apostles' Creed. As early as the Apostles' Creed, it says this. Jesus ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, He will come back to judge the living and the dead. And it says later, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is a part of our our basic, this is one of the basic tenets of our faith. We are saved and forgiven. We die and go to heaven, and one day we get a glorious body back that can't die and that will live in the new heaven and the new earth. What this affirms is the goodness of creation. The fact that you will be raised in glory, affirms the goodness of creation itself. I know that right now, creation is corrupted, but creation as a concept, this world in general, has not been left by God as if it was a Lego project that went wrong, that he stuffed up, he missed the instructions, and so he obliterates it all and doesn't care much for it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is your personal forgiveness with Jesus. However, we also see in Scripture that the the broad scope of the gospel is that Jesus comes into this world, stamps it with his blood, buys it back from the curse, and therefore inherits it as his own, making all things new. And one day, he'll recreate it from every atom and cell upwards. He's not losing this world to Satan. He's not just going to sweep all the cells and matter and atoms that he made into the dustbin of hell and start over. He's going to cleanse it by his blood, banish the curse, sin, suffering, the death and the devil and recreate it for his own glory. This creation is good. This is one of the arguments Paul makes. Your body is good. Don't neglect it. And even more, don't use it for heinous, sinful sexual acts because this is the body that's going to inherit the internal world. It's quite an argument. So it affirms the goodness of creation. It affirms the power of God over curse and the devil. And it affirms Christ as the Adam of a new creation, or the head of a new creation. The firstborn part, the, the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth, the first thing that God made was Jesus' resurrection body. The next thing he starts making is our born-again recreated souls. Then eventually, on the last day, we get our resurrected bodies and worlds. But Jesus was the first fruit of the whole new creation. He was the Adam, the head, the first man of an entire new human race. This is the good news of the gospel. Death is sure. Death is sure. But death is not final. You will die. You will stand either at your friend's grave, a family member's grave, likely, One of you will stand at your spouse's grave. People will stand at your grave. People will stand at my grave and somebody else will start preaching in this pulpit. Somebody will inherit your things. Somebody else will will, 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 will marry your descendants. You will be forgotten and maybe your name lasts on a little gravestone until it erodes. Every one of us will die, but we can stand next to Lazarus's grave, Martha's grave, Mary's grave, my grave, your grave, our brother's grave and say because we believe in him we live even though we die that's the good news of the gospel That if you believe in jesus and maybe you've never considered christ maybe you've never been in a church maybe you're not religious and whatever the, the reality of, the, of of the of, of the world is this you're a sinner you deserve to die you're a sinner and you will die and you only have two options you either forget jesus don't trust in Him. Don't, don't love Him. Don't put your faith in Him. Just live as you've been living and do as you've been doing. You will die and go on to an eternal dying experience of death called hell where your, your sins against God are laid out and punished and judged. Or you can die and immediately wake up in heaven immediately know that your sin's already being forgiven way long ago on the cross. You are now fit to be with God forever and ever and then one day get, a, get a glorified body to boot. That's the good news of the gospel. Anybody who believes can face death saying, though I die, yet shall I live. Jesus gives resurrection to everyone who believes in, believes in him. This is the call. Escape the punishment of your sins. Escape the result of the curse. Avoid the result of all mankind, which is death, so that beyond the grave you may have eternal life. Like Jesus said, do you believe this? Do you believe? Many of the sermons that we've been doing are on these public cries of Jesus. Come to me. Believe in me. But this is a one-on-one. Jesus and Martha. Martha. And he takes that opportunity, even for somebody who says that she believes in him, has been a follower, has been a server, has been doing all sorts of things for him. He still says to her, do you believe these things? I want to ask you, as the Holy Spirit is here by Jesus' appointment in the church through the preaching of his word, may he press into your own heart and ask you, do you believe this? That because of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection because of the, the joining effect that faith has between you and Jesus. That you do now live and will live forever. Do you truly believe that? Or like Martha, are you, are you, are you saying, I've heard of that. I'm aware Christians believe that. I thought I, I believed that. I would, I would check that box on an exam. I know that in the you know, last day we get a body back. But do you believe it? Because here's what Martha didn't know. We've said what Martha did know and that was orthodox theology. Very good Martha. What Martha did not understand is what Jesus corrects her. Look at verse verse 25. She says, verse 24, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. When the resurrection gets here, then he'll rise. As long as Lazarus is in the concept or in the realm of resurrection, he'll rise. I know this, Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The resurrection is here. Now, in me. Jesus is saying the resurrection is not merely an event that he witnesses on the timeline. The resurrection is nothing more than Jesus coming back. It's just Jesus being Jesus, giving life to dead things. Jesus is the resurrection. Not religion, not an event, not, not something automatic in the cogs of the universe that the time ticks over and, and then it all sort of resets and rec- Jesus is the recreation he is the regeneration he is the resurrection he is new life therefore there is no new life or resurrection outside of him this is what he's saying the reason Lazarus will rise is because he believed in me that's what he just said those who believe in me will live though he die. So, so the way you get resurrection is by being joined to Jesus, by having his life by faith. Jesus is saying to Martha, he believed in me. He has my life. He has me. I can give him resurrection right now. He already has the resurrection. I, I may not have clicked my fingers and appeared back and raised him yet, but he already has that, that eternal principle of resurrection because he has me. Everyone who believes in me, he says in verse 26. Everyone. Verse 26, he says this. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's not just a promise for the future. It's a promise for right now. That's what he told her. He believed. He doesn't just need to wait for the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And then, just as a spoiler alert, if you haven't read the story... In a few verses, Jesus walks down to the graveside of Lazarus. He weeps and he cries for the painful reality of death and what it does to the human race and everything God created. And then he calls Lazarus's name, says, Come to me, Lazarus. And Lazarus walks out of the grave with his disgusting, filthy, sort of rotten smelling rags falling off of him. And he comes to Jesus. He lives. This is what Jesus did in actual history. He rose a guy up who had been rotting for four days in the grave. And somehow, the maggots were cast out, the, the necrotized rotten cells reversed in their time frame, the, the blood uncoagulated and went from black to fresh red again, the, 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 the disgusting sort of piling and pitting edema within his pulmonary system and the clots within his cardiac system and the glaze over eyes, they all simply reversed and he breathed a fresh breath and I'm sure asked what in the world is happening until he took off his grave clothes and still then what in the world is happening I was enjoying heaven but he came back and Jesus did this in order to show not that this was resurrection but that Jesus had the power of resurrection see Lazarus went on to die again he, he, he lived he was healthy Um, I wonder whether or not he sort of re-inherited his old sicknesses or old scars or whether he, I don't know, got a boost of some kind. I would have been asking Jesus for that. I could have come back without asthma, Jesus, but that's, I don't know what happened. But he lived, he got old, and he died of natural causes again. It was a revival, not a resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. I'll rise him now to prove it, but on the last day I will rise him. I will resurrect him. That's what Martha didn't understand. She she knew the orthodox last day thing, but she didn't understand that that last day is really nothing more than Jesus just being Jesus. Therefore, the resurrection was in Christ and whoever he chose to give it to. But this is what Jesus wants us to understand. That as he goes on, and he says it in verse 26, verse 25 tells us about living beyond the grave, even though you die, yet you live. Verse 26 tells us about life that happens to us right now. He says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So what he's saying is not merely, if you believe, you'll go to heaven. He's not merely saying, and if you have believed in me, then after heaven, on the last day, you'll get a glorified body back and inherit a new world. He's saying, in fact, right now, if you believe in me, then you live And that life never dies. So we could say it like this. Your resurrection... No, let's start global. The the world's resurrection happens in an order of, of dominoes. First is the resurrection of Jesus where he got his new body back. Then the next domino to fall is all of the souls of all of God's chosen people to ever be throughout all time and space. And we get saved all throughout history. And then the final dominator fall is his returning and making the world. That's the the resurrection of the world in three parts. But we can go now to your personal resurrection. And it happens in multiple parts. First of all, you believe in Jesus. And in that, and in fact underneath that, even immediately prior to that, God has given to you new resurrection spiritual life. You're resurrected in soul. The next thing that happens is the next step of your resurrection, you might not have thought about it like this, is your death. The next step closer you take away from death and sin is your death. That's why, that's why Psalm 116 says, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we say, Amen, Hallelujah. It's blessed for us as well. we're we're unclothing death we're unclothing suffering and sin and going to be with Jesus so so heaven, being in heaven is the next stage of your resurrection you you, you became a Christian you were newborn in soul then you lost your body then you were an experience in heaven without sin and then finally Jesus comes back brings you with him to the world resurrects the living, resurrects us judges the unrighteous and sends them to hell and all together we inherit the new world that's the stages of your resurrection Resurrection. What that means then is that now what we call regeneration, being born again, is that this is a partaking. Anybody who believes in Jesus has passed into this realm of spiritual life, so that you are, in a very real sense, in the resurrection of Jesus, or partaking in the resurrection of Jesus. You you have His resurrection power or reality. Embedded with your own soul so that you are no longer in the realm of the spiritual dead. Ephesians 2 verse 5 and 6 says it like this. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So that's not talking about our future resurrection. That's talking about our spiritual resurrection that happens in and through the moment of you having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is this. Do you want to go on living in death and then die physically and then die spiritually in hell and then die physically and spiritually when you get a new body back to suffer forever? That it's all death. You're dying and in death. You will die, go to death, then you'll get a body back from Jesus fit for judgment, and you'll continue to die. It is all death. This is why the scripture tells us that that, that sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. Or will you now believe on the Lord Jesus? Call on his name and say, Jesus, what you did to Lazarus, what you're going to do for Lazarus on the last day, do to my soul now. I, I can't do something to come out of the dead experience I'm in. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You, you're in sin. You recognize that you're guilty and that you're fairly immoral and that you're fairly unrighteous and, and you don't like people prying into your internet history and your dating history and things like that. But you, you see no, no way to, to, to exit that experience. Like, like somebody in a miry bog in a large pit Every grasp you make at the wall just brings more dirt down on top of you. And so you can't actually escape this experience of guilt and unrighteousness and and feasting on the death of sin. The answer for you is to cry out to Jesus and say, make me alive. Give me a new heart. Give me new creation. Give me life and light so that I can exit my death and have that life which never ends. That's what you must do. Because Jesus is not like a terrible paramedic who comes and finds a, a dead body lying in a swamp and staples a medical script to it and, and then passes down a referral to a very good, highly qualified physiotherapist and then an acupuncturist and, a, and a, 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 the guy who cracks your bones just for good measure. He doesn't do that. He's not a paramedic who comes to you and finds you in your scene and then starts giving advice as to what you can do because there's nothing you can do. You're a dead corpse. Instead, he stands powerfully and authoritatively as the source of resurrection and says, you, to your very soul, he says, come to life, and you do. if you are outside of Jesus, if you are living in a death, if you know that death awaits you and that further eternal death after that beckons you, then you must call to Jesus in your heart and ask that he makes your soul new so that you can trust in him and be made alive. Jesus says, believe in me, not serve me, not even love me, or obey me, or impress me. Jesus has no advice to give or command to give. He has good news to give. He doesn't say, here's what you can do. As an unrighteous person, you're not very Christian, you're probably not good enough. Here's some things you can do to put makeup on this dead corpse that you are. Rather, he comes to you and says, good news your sin which deserves this death and worse, your rebellion against God and breaking his laws, which deserves this death and then death at the end of your life and then death in hell and then death again when Jesus gives you that body to suffer in. The sin which deserves all of that death was absorbed not in an eternity of suffering, but in a few hours of suffering by Jesus on the cross. The death you deserve, Jesus really and truly experienced in his body, on the cross, where he took the justice and the wrath of God so that you don't have to. The, the death that we're talking about is not just some kind of cosmic result because there's bad juju, or, you know, it's bad aura, or it's, you know, yin and yang, and this is what happens. No, it's, all this death is just God's personal punishment to you for your sin. But all of that punishment was taken by Jesus on the cross for anybody that believes. The call, therefore, is to believe in Jesus and know you have life, is to call out to Jesus to give you that life, is to rely on Jesus for the life that only he can give. Let's pray. Father God, as Jesus said in that intimate, sensitive, one-on-one individual moment to Martha, he told her, He's the resurrection, that there's life in no one outside of him. And that anybody who believes in him will have resurrection, but even more, will have life right now. Father God, we know that there is no such thing as somebody who will have that resurrection then, who does not have spiritual life right now. Please let nobody entertain false hopes that they will receive heaven or they will somehow escape hell if they do not first escape their deathly life of sin now. Please, Lord God, we ask that by the authority of the self-authenticating, self-authoritative, sovereign voice of Jesus, that he would call to life by name the souls that still sit in death here in our midst tonight. And Lord, I don't know each of them. You know each of them. You know every single person in our midst that is outside of Christ, that is still in death, that is going to hell. Yet, Lord, I ask that you speak, that you call their name to life, that you give them resurrection in the soul, to trust in Jesus who died for them, to know that he rose victoriously and that life is applied to them. We pray this, Lord God. And for those of us who, like Martha, have believed, would you give to us a fuller comprehension and a fuller understanding of the glory of this belief, of, of the certainty of our life that it can never die because you cannot die, Jesus. You are our life. And we are secure with you, in you, in heaven with God. That in your death we live. That by your power we stand and we will be preserved. Father God, would you please assure our hearts, bless our hearts, and make us to lean on the sweet promises of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Gloria.